All right, it is fantastic to be here with you guys. It's, um, yeah, it's truly an honor. I didn't get the chance to meet too many of you a couple of weeks ago at the retreat, but uh, it was so good to be there worshiping with you guys. I was only there on Saturday. I, have to, I had to run away late Saturday night uh, to get back to, uh, back to church. But, um, but yeah, was it a good time at the retreat? Yeah. That was awesome. Just the way that the Lord was moving through Every part that I saw, you know, through the small groups, through the games times, through the skits, through, through everything, through the, the, the word, Pastor Myungwa, Pastor JM, delivering such timely, powerful words. You could tell that God was, was really moving in a special, powerful way. And it's always an honor for me to connect with Emmaus. Now, New Philadelphia Church, I mean, some of you guys are there, some of you guys aren't there. New Philadelphia Church loves Emmaus. Do you guys know that? We love this ministry. We love praying for you guys. We just, we find it an honor to come serve here. I was actually, just to express the honor that I felt being connected to this ministry, um, a couple of semesters ago, I guess it was a full year ago, uh, for the spring retreat for Emmaus in 2011, I wasn't involved with the retreat at all, at the retreat, but I was in my last semester, my second last semester at seminary, and I was massively busy. I was, it was like midterms time, and it was crazy, and during that time, I was asked by one, I can't remember which Emmaus staff asked me, some Emmaus staff asked me, was it Sarah? I don't know, uh, asked me you know, if I could just drive the equipment to the retreat center, go around the city, picking up like the food, picking up the equipment and like driving to the retreat center and going back. And I, I have no time to do this. It's, it's just, uh, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm really cramped already with, tra- with time, but you know, because I'm one of the only people available who has a license who can drive the, the new Philly church van, I figure, okay, I'll just do it. And I'll try to be joyful doing it, but I don't really feel joyful at all doing this. I'm just going like, to do this. And as I'm driving to the retreat center, I feel the Lord convict my heart and, and say, John, I just felt the Lord impress like, strongly on my heart. John, it is an honor and a privilege for you to be playing this small role in what I'm about to do at this retreat. And I was, I was stopped in my tracks. I could, like, I was like, Lord, I repent. I, I, I am sorry. And, and, and I went and I shared that with a couple of Mayas staff at the time. And I just felt that a, a powerful work was going to be done in that weekend at the retreat. And for those of you who were there, you know that a powerful work was done that weekend. And for those of you who have been the last couple of Mayas retreats, you know that an even more powerful work has been done through the retreat, through Emmaus, we're going from glory to glory, as we like to say, as the word of God says, and God continues to pour out his love, pour out his blessings and his grace on this ministry. And so it's my privilege, my honor to be here tonight, to be here with you guys. You guys, the Lord loves you so much. His heart, no, his heart is so for you. I don't think we get it, but the Lord's heart is so for you. It's the Lord who brought you here. For whatever other reasons you might think you came here for, the Lord actually brought you here. And he loves you so much. And that's nothing to do with my message. I just felt like I needed to say that. Uh, so, yeah. So we love you at New Philly. We bless you. And... Um,
Yeah, I, I have the privilege of, of being the worship pastor at New Philadelphia Church. And, uh, and just to tell you a little bit more about myself, I've been in Korea now for about 10 years. Yeah, I've been here for... <laughs> is that Jisoo? Jisoo? Unnecessary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've actually... I've left Korea for good two times already. Okay, so for those of you who think you're going to leave after the semester and leave Korea for good, you might leave for good, but you might not. So, so just be open to what the Lord is doing. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm married to an amazing woman. She is the best wife in the world. Honestly, she is. I, I, like, I, I sincerely believe that. And Pastor Aaron, I was talking. Is Pastor? She's not here. I was talking with Pastor Aaron, and and I told Pastor Aaron, my wife is is the best wife in the world. And and she's like, you mean she's the best wife for you? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> I actually think my wife is the best wife in the world. And she couldn't be here with us tonight. She had way too many things. She wanted to be here. She had way too many things to do tonight. But, um, but yeah, so it was a long time ago that I was in college. Uh, I've gotten a bit older. I've aged in Korea. Uh, but when I went to college, I first went out of college, um, went out of high school into college into a Bible college. Have any of you guys ever studied at a Bible college at all? Probably not. Hey? Yeah, did you? Whereabouts? Sorry, where? Lipston? Lipscomb. Where's that? In Nashville. Awesome. So that's the program you're in right now? No. You transferred out of it. Ah, okay. Good, good. Yeah, so, so not a common thing. You're hopefully you had a good experience. Maybe you didn't. Yeah, it was good. All right. Uh, but I went, to, I went to a Bible college right out of high school. I ended up going to university later. Uh, but when I went to Bible college, we had chapels. Uh, three days a week. So it was, it's kind of like this, but bigger with all the students. And, um, and so we got to gather together and worship and receive a word and, and pray together on some level or another three times a week. And I did that for four years. And there was one particular message that I heard during my time in Bible college that stood out far beyond any other one. There's one. It wasn't even a particular message. It was actually just one analogy. And I was adding it up in my mind. How many chapels did I go to at, at Bible college? It was, I mean, if there are like what, 30 weeks in a school year, something like that, and three chapels a week, that's like 90 chapels times four. It's like 360 chapels. There was only one that I really remembered. <laughs> and that's not a good sign. But it means that what stuck in my heart from that chapel was highly significant for me. And I feel, and I've, I've wanted to preach on this for a long time, and I've never felt like it was the right time to do it, but I felt this was the word of the Lord tonight for you guys. And this one particular analogy, I'm not sure if you heard it or not, is about thermostats and thermometers. Okay? Now, you all know what a thermostat is. Well, what's a, you know, a thermostat? If you want to change the temperature in a room you either you turn the thermometer up or you turn it down, right? And that is the power to change the temperature in a given room. Now, a thermostat, or a thermometer, I should say, is very different. 
A thermometer simply measures how hot or cold the temperature in the room is. If the temperature goes up, the thermometer goes up. If the temperature goes down, the thermometer goes down. Simple as that, right? The thermostat determines what the temperature is. The thermostat, or sorry, the thermometer simply responds to the temperature in the room. And what this one speaker who came into our chaplain and spoke on, spoke, he said, there are two kinds of Christians in the world. There are thermostats and there are thermometers. And he said, in the church today, there are far, far, far more thermometers than thermostats. Far more. Because as Christians, we like to go with the flow of things. If the spiritual temperature in a given setting is hot, we get hot. If the spiritual temperature is cold, we just go with the flow and we are cold. You know, we just kind of flow with it. We become numb to things. We get half-hearted. We kind of just do whatever. And that's essentially the message tonight. Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? And brothers and sisters, God is calling this group, not just one or two, every single one of you to be spiritual thermostats everywhere you go. And so when I heard this word in college, I took it to heart. I knew the Lord was speaking to me and I haven't forgot it since. And I don't think I'll forget it for the rest of my life. The question I want to ask tonight is how can you be a spiritual thermostat? What does that look like? What are some ways we can actually practically do that? Because it's, it's all about shifting environments, right? Shifting atmosphere, it's shifting people. Now at the retreat a couple of weeks ago, there was a shift that happened in many people's hearts. And it's been happening in large groups here from what I hear. There's a shift that happens inside of us, but God's saying, it's not enough that there is a shift in you. Now you need to go and be a shifting factor, a shifting force in your environments, in the people that are around you. You need to shift them because I call you a spiritual thermostat. Now, I, I love the game of hockey. I'm a hockey player. I'm from Canada. Uh, any Canadians here, by the way? Yes. <laughs> Canadians. Okay, I think last semester it was just like Julia and maybe a couple others. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I connect well with Canadians. But do you guys like hockey? No, a little bit? <laughs> Boo. All right, all right. Uh, but... Growing up playing hockey, hockey was my life growing up. I, like, I ate hockey, drank hockey, slept hockey. I, I did everything. I, every, every chance I could get to have at the arena, I would just go. I would referee hockey. I would timekeep hockey. I would coach hockey. I would play hockey. I would just watch hockey. Um, I loved it. And one thing I learned about hockey is that, you know, your team could be doing poorly in a game. And there's, no, there's just no jump on the team a guy's just kind of flowing with the game. 
And at that point in a game, you look to your, in hockey, you call them a spark plug. Like who's, who's going to fire the team up? And that person could like score a big goal and totally shift the team, right? Or that person could just run someone over on the ice and shift the team. That, could, that person could drop the gloves and fight someone and that would shift your team, right? And uh, I see Randy back there. I know Randy plays football. Randy loves football. Same thing for football, right? I mean, if your team is just like, you know, if they're just going with the flow, if, they're just, if there's no jump in the team, all it might take is one of your guys to completely run someone over. Yeah, I know. That, that's for Randy. And, and your team gets excited. The fans are into it, you know? It just takes, it takes something to shift the atmosphere. It takes a thermostat, right? See, and Randy's thinking, well, who's, who's next guy I'm going to crush next time I play football, you know? I'm going to shift the atmosphere. Uh, but I want to give three very simple ideas tonight for how to be a spiritual thermostat, how to shift atmospheres by what you do. Okay, you ready for that? Three simple things. I like simple things. I just, that's just the way I am. I like to take complicated things and I like to make them simple. Is that good? Do you guys like take philosophy? You guys had philosophy classes? No, some of you guys, really complicated stuff, right? Like why do they write all these things to say like something I don't understand? I like to take like philosophy and make it simple. Like, like this is what he's saying, you know, help people with that. Anyways, simple things, three simple ideas for being a spiritual thermostat anywhere you go. Okay. First thing, through praise. I love this one. I talk about praise a lot because I'm a, I'm a praise leader. I'm a worship pastor. Uh, and the praise is increasing in this place. I love to see that. You guys are praising the Lord. And, and it's growing hotter. It's growing stronger in this place. But I think from what I've seen and what I see in the word as well, the best way you can shift an atmosphere is simply by praising God. It's interesting because when you praise the Lord and you're, you're in like a, a really like intense environment of worship, it feels pretty good, right? Like it just, like I feel warm. I feel happy. I, feel, I just feel good because I, I don't even know why, but like people are praising God and I feel good. It just feels really like, and, and sometimes we, we can get into that place of not knowing why I feel good, but I just feel good, you know? because people are praising around me. What's really going on is what the Bible says is that when you worship the Lord, he inhabits that worship. He lives inside of that worship. He dwells inside of that worship because we know that God exists everywhere. The presence of God is everywhere in the entire universe. But it says in Psalm 22 that he inhabits the praises of his people where you praise God the atmosphere is going to shift. I guarantee you a hundred percent of the time, something will shift when you praise the Lord, because what you're doing, you're taking your eyes off of your circumstance. You're putting your eyes on the Lord. And in that place, there's only joy. There is only hope. There is only peace. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you want to shift an atmosphere, praise the Lord. This afternoon, just, just this afternoon, just today, I was in the church office and I was feeling 
really heavy. Uh, just to confess that to you guys. In the church office, I'm working as a pastor. I'm feeling really heavy just this afternoon. And I'm just thinking about like a bunch of things that need to get done and like a bunch of other things that are going on and different other things that are, you know, that I'm thinking about. And I'm, I'm feeling this weight. And so I've gone to the place where I understand when I praise the Lord, things shift. But I'm feeling really weighty. So I grab my guitar, I go to another room, and I praise the Lord really loud. Like, and our walls aren't thick. They're thin. So, and yeah, these guys work. I went into your office, by the way, Rona and Tina, because yeah, you guys weren't there today. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I praised the Lord like really loud and then prayed really loud, like at the top of my lungs, basically. Cause I'm trying, I'm shifting what's happening because I'm, I'm just, I'm throwing my whole self into the place of praise, not just to make noise. Cause you don't want to just make noise. Making noise accomplishes nothing. When you, when you praise the Lord here, don't get caught up in that, by the way. Like, I'm just going to make noise because I think God's honored by me making, like singing at the top of my lungs. It's not, it's not it, you know? The point is worshiping. The point is actually responding to who God is. And so I'm doing this at the, at the top of my lungs and I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling mostly better. And then I walk out of the office, out of my room, out of Rona and Tina's office. And, uh, and then I go and talk to the other people in the office that are working there today. And they're feeling the same heaviness. They're like, man, we got to pray. We got to do something. They just, we were feeling like heavy, you know? And so, so we get everyone in the office together in the middle of the office. And we started praising the Lord. I brought up my guitar. We started singing, uh, like trading my sorrows, started dancing around in the office because yeah, you guys missed out by the way. Uh, cause you just, you weren't there. Uh, <laughs> but when, when we did that together, there was such a power in that. Like you can, you can shift atmosphere by yourself just by praising the Lord. But when you praise the Lord with other people and you're actually praising, you're not just making noise, but you're praising the Lord. That's powerful. You know what happened in Acts 16? Story of, of Paul and Silas in prison, right? And they get thrown in prison. They're in a city called Philippi. They get thrown into prison because they cast a demon out of a girl. That's, that's how they got thrown to prison. That sounds like a good thing. Did they do a good thing? They cast a demon out of a girl and they get thrown into prison. Okay. They get, well, but first they get beaten and then they get thrown into prison and in prison, they're in the inner cell. It says they're in stocks. So they're like, they're not in a comfortable position at all. They're like, their hands are in stocks. Their feet are likely in stocks as well. It's likely cold and damp in like the inner part of, of the prison. And it says at about midnight, they start singing hymns to God. Now their situation is not looking good. That circumstance is not a pleasant one. There's no hope for them, but they take their eyes off of their circumstance for, for a while. I'm sure they don't even remember that they're in prison, right? They don't even remember their circumstance. They fix their eyes on the Lord and they start praising him. Now we don't know what, you know, what songs they sang, what hymns they sung, but it says that after they started praising him, there was a massive earthquake. That's not a coincidence, by the way. That's not like it was just time for an earthquake and, and this thing happened. It was like they praised the Lord. They took their eyes off of their circumstance. They praised the Lord. 
And God responded by manifesting his presence in the form of an earthquake, which shook that jail. And it resulted in the jailer who was watching them being saved, his household being saved and that city being transformed in Philippi. And you read later about the city of Philippi. Paul writes to them later. And Paul is so filled with joy for what's happening there. Right? You know, that, that started with Paul and Silas simply shifting the atmosphere in praise. The transformation of a city. That's really what it started with. Praising the Lord. You never know what your praise is going to result in down the road. You really don't. Okay, first way to praise the Lord. There, I, I can't get into this too much because I, I talk about this a lot, about praise and what praise does and that sort of thing. But praise is powerful. It really is. You can praise the Lord anywhere. You praise the Lord in your dorm. Hopefully you guys like get together every once in a while, some of you guys, and pull out a guitar or something and praise the Lord in like the I house or wherever you guys live or like the dorms here. Like, just praise the Lord. When you're walking to school, praise the Lord. It will shift you. I guarantee it. Something will change. Guaranteed. It might feel small. It might feel big, but something will change. You can be a spiritual thermostat by praising the Lord. Okay. Second simple thing. Praising the Lord is simply through your words. Now, this point was like half preached by Eunice while she was leading prayer here just now. She's like, she's preaching my message, talking about the importance and the power of words. But words are truly, truly powerful. Okay, I want you to turn to James 3, for those of you who have Bibles here. James is after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It's almost at the end before 1st and 2nd Peter. James has some sobering things to say about the power of words. It's pretty intense. James 3, look at verse 3. I'm in the the, uh, NIV. It says... When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's that's pretty serious. Do you see how much damage you can do with your tongue? Your tongue can do more damage than anything else. It's like a nuclear bomb in your mouth. Like you can you can destroy someone using your words. You guys know that? Some of you guys have been so hurt by the words that people have spoken to you and over you. It hasn't destroyed you. You're here and the Lord's hand is on you. 
Your words are so powerful. It's like a forest fire can be started just through a spark. That's all it takes to set an entire forest on fire. Where I live in Canada, we get these warnings at times when it's really dry in the summer. I guess similar to California and other places in the States as well, where you can't have a fire outside. Like normally when you're camping, you can, uh, you can have a, a campfire and you know, cook your food there and that sort of thing. But when it's really dry, they'll forbid you from doing this. They'll make it illegal. You can't have any kind of fire anywhere because the smallest spark that goes out of your fire and onto some dry grass or some dry wood is going to set a whole forest on fire, right? Just from a spark. Your tongue isn't very big. It's, it's really small. It's like, it's like that big, right? It can do powerful things for evil. But do you know what? It can do powerful things for good. Like you can set up a forest fire of good with your tongue. It doesn't need to be a bad one. Your tongue is powerful. Ephesians 4.29. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth because all sorts of unwholesome stuff comes out of our mouths, right? Like when we're honest with ourselves, all sorts of trash comes out of our mouths. Really? But it says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. You can build people up with your words. You can build people through your words. You can take someone and make them stronger through your words. You can release someone into their destiny through your words. It doesn't take like a pastor to do that. Anyone can do that through anyone's words. You can release someone into their destiny. Your words are powerful. They're life-giving. It says in Proverbs 15, a gentle word turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. What I find very interesting about that is that the noun for a word there is singular. A gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now that might not just be like, like literally one word, but it's basically saying just, just a word. It doesn't take an essay. It doesn't take a big speech, just like a word. Do you know how powerful one word is? One simple compliment. Do you know how that can shift an atmosphere? Do you know how it can shift a person, how that can change a person's day? Just a word. And I think about the times in my life where encouragement has shifted me. I'm, if you guys, you guys know about the love languages, by the way, some of you guys have taken it. Uh, my love language, I feel most loved when I'm affirmed. I'm words of affirmation. I'm not like, I don't care too much about gifts. You know, gifts are nice. You can give me gifts. That's all right. You can do stuff for me, gifts or acts of service. You know, you can spend time with me. That's good. But I feel most loved when I'm affirmed. That's, that's true for a lot of men as well. And I think about the times when I've just felt 
totally built up by a simple word. I'll tell you one time I was, this stands out to me more than those. When I was in university, it's after I was in Bible college, I was studying history in university later and I was about to graduate and I was going to come back to Korea my second time because I already left for good once before that. So I was going to come back to Korea my second time after graduating from university. And, uh, and I had a conversation with my, one of my history professors and she just asked me, so what, what are you doing after graduation? And I didn't know her well. Um, I did fairly well in the class. Uh, but I told her that I was going to move back to Korea and that I'd gotten a job as an international school teacher in Seoul. And, and she said, oh, that's good. You know, I, but I'm sure you'll succeed in whatever you do, John. So she told me, I'm sure you'll succeed in whatever you do. And she said it with sincerity. And that word did a massive work in me. Man. And after that, I felt like I could actually succeed in anything I did. Like really. And this woman, she wasn't like a spiritual mother of mine. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't even a Christian. She didn't love Jesus at all, right? She's, she's a non-believer. And she speaks this word of faith over me, this word of life over me. That changed me. You never know how much your words will mean to someone. We're learning this at New Philly as well. We've got like on missions, we do these things called AAs. For those of you who've been on missions, uh, affirmation and appreciation. That's what AA stands for, where you just take time affirming people and appreciating them, saying something about what you appreciate, about what they did or you know who they are, that sort of thing. Those are powerful times. Really. Do you guys do that here at Emmaus? Do you guys? Nah, someday. Maybe you'll do it someday. But you know, it's, it's powerful. You, you feel so good about your life. Honestly, when someone affirms you or appreciates you, like really, it can be a small thing and it changes you. You all have the power to shift atmospheres anywhere around you by just speaking an, a, an appreciative word, an affirming word. You can change someone's life. You probably never knew that. You can change someone's life just by doing that. Second thing is just through the words that you speak, you are being called to be spiritual thermostats. Third thing. Oh, no, I got to go back to the second thing. This is, this is too important. I just, I just want to miss this. I, I was, yeah, this just came like just before I got here. I felt like, no, I, I got to say this. Um, that you can shift environments and shift atmospheres on the other side as well. Like when there are things that are negative happening around you, things that would not honor God, right? It just takes a simple phrase, a simple word to shift that atmosphere. Like if you're around people who are gossiping, because gossip is fun, right? Honestly, gossip is fun because we feel that we have some kind of power because of the knowledge we have and the ability we have to communicate that knowledge to other people. It makes us feel important. We, we've all experienced it. We feel important when we have knowledge that we can share to other people, right? That doesn't honor God. 
and it doesn't honor the people that you're talking about. And all it takes is for one person in that conversation to say, you know, guys, I don't think we should be talking about this. And the atmosphere is shifted. Now you might feel like I am, you know, I'm, I'm killing the party, you know, I'm killing the mood. I'm like doing whatever because we, we don't like to be that person, but it's not, it doesn't take much, just a few words and you can set people into that path of righteousness. You know, whatever it is you might be talking about, like guys talking about all sorts of stuff that guys talk about. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I, I grew up playing hockey. I heard everything, you know, I heard everything. All it takes is one guy to say, guys, like, like we don't need to talk about this. That's it. And you know, if anyone has any receptivity in them around you who are talking about that, they'll catch it and be like, oh yeah, you know, actually we don't. We actually don't need to be talking about that. There's power in your words. It doesn't take much. Your words are powerful. Take it to heart. Okay. Had to say that. Didn't want to move on until I, until I got there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, third thing, third way in which you can simply be third, simple way in which you can be a spiritual thermostat is through your life, through your life, through your lives. That's the plural lives is life is a singular lives is the plural. Yeah. I used to. Yeah. Anyways, I won't go there. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's simple in, in the same way that a simple word can change an environment and it can change a person, a simple word, a simple act can also change a person and can change an environment. It does not take much. One act can change someone. You guys know the story, uh, Les Mis? Les Miserables? I, uh, I like to, I like to speak French because I'm Canadian and Canadians are supposed to be able to speak French. So I don't know if you Canadian speaks French at all. No, not really. Okay. I feel like a bad Canadian because I don't speak it that much, but Les Miserables. How many people have, uh, have, uh, seen it? Uh, some form of it. Okay. One of my favorite stories in the world, right? It's, it's about a man named Jean Valjean who is French. It's important. It's important. If something's French, speak it French. Don't say John, Jean Valjean, you know, that's, it's just, it's ignorant. Don't do that. Like, no, no, seriously. If you're getting bread at like Paris baguette or like Paris baguette. Don't call it like Paris baguette because I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Paris baguette and get some bread. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't do that. It's like Paris baguette or Paris baguette. Anyways, uh, Jean Valjean, he's a, he's a, a criminal. He was in jail in prison for 13 years for stealing a loaf of bread. So he's a hardened criminal from Paris, right? He would no, like he's 13 years in prison, hard labor, 13 years for what? Stealing a loaf of bread. Okay. And he finally gets out and he's on parole. And so he's living a life where people are going to be constantly watching him and making sure he's like obeying the law. And so he's, he's free, but he's not really free. And he ends up staying one night at the home of a Catholic bishop. And that night in this home of the Catholic bishop, uh, and, and by the way, no one was taking him in. He's a, he's a, 
an ex-convict, still considered really a convict. No one wanted to take him in. The only person who would take him in was his Catholic bishop. And so while he stayed the night there, he ended up stealing the bishop's silverware. Very expensive at that time, like, like actual silver. And leaving the home in the middle of the night. Along the way, while he's on his way out of the house and down the road, the authorities catch him, find out that he was at the bishop's house, realize he's got all this stolen stuff, and brings that man back to the bishop to return the stuff and take him back to prison where he's going to spend a lot more hard time, like a lot more hard time for doing something like that. And when he gets back to the bishop's house, he's like... He's just expecting punishment because that's all he's experienced for most of his life. And he gets back to the bishop's house and the bishop simply says, Oh, there you are, Jean Valjean. You left, you left so early. I didn't get a chance to give you my silver candlesticks. So here you go. And he gives him these like expensive silver candlesticks. And the police are confused. They're like, this man didn't steal from you? He didn't take this? And he's like, no, no, no. He just came back. I'm glad he came back so I could give him more. And he sent him on his way. And from that point on in the story, in the movie, and in the musical, this man was a completely changed man because his life from that point on was marked by grace. That's what grace is. You know, the definition of grace, most simply put, is receiving something that you don't deserve. And that's all of us. We've all received everything we have. We don't deserve it. But God pours out his grace on us. And the thing is that grace is so anti-culture in every culture of the world. Grace is anti-culture. Everyone grew up with some sort of understanding that I need to earn what I have. I need to work hard. My parents told me I need to work hard. I need to do my best in school. I have to like be diligent in all that I'm doing. I got to clean my room. We, we all grew up with that, right? And so the world is all charged by this anti-grace culture and atmosphere when the world is thirsting for grace it's like grace to the world is like it's from another planet no really if you've never experienced it before it's like it's so foreign like why would i receive something that i didn't pay for why would i receive something that i didn't earn it doesn't make any sense and god says that's the point. It doesn't make any sense to you, but it makes perfect sense to me. That's the way God thinks. God is a God who loves to pour out grace, who loves to pour out mercy on people. He just loves it. And so he calls us just by simple things in our lives to show grace. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. He said, 
you know, you know that it has been said, you've heard that it has been said, love your friend, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be called sons of your father in heaven. Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. He says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, that, that's how you overcome evil that you see around you in every form, whether it's small, whether it's big, whatever it might be, you overcome evil by doing good. That might be with people that you know in the dorm, people in your class, people wherever. You overcome that by doing good, by showing grace, by giving people something that they don't deserve. When you give someone something that they don't deserve, it'll change them. It has to. Grace has to change people. It says, it's kind of a strange way of thinking about it, but Paul says, when you do good to your enemies, it's like heaping burning coals on their heads, right? The best way to get back at someone, Paul is saying, is by doing good to them. Because that's what a spiritual thermostat does. You want to change someone, you want to change their environment, do good. It's in you to do good. Jesus said in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's strange to me. It was strange for a long time. This is in John 13. This is in the New Testament. Jesus says, I have a new commandment for you. I've got something new for you to do. You've never heard this before. Love one another. And if you, if you know like, something about the Bible, you know that in the Old Testament, they were told to love people back then too. Like it's, it's the Shema, like if you're Hebrew. It's, uh, I study Hebrew, you know, I used to study Hebrew. I should still study it. Uh, but it's like the most important thing you could do is love people. He says, God says through Moses, love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, love people. That's completely understood and known throughout the whole old Testament. And Jesus in the new Testament, many hundreds of years later to people who are really smart, or at least who know the law, who know the Bible, he says, I've got a new commandment for you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. What is he talking about? You guys ever come across that and wonder that? Why is Jesus calling us a new commandment? Do you know why he's calling it a new commandment? He's saying, as I have loved you, love one another. What's new about that is that Jesus was going to show the world a whole new way of loving people. We just celebrated Easter last week. That is the fullness of love. And Jesus says, I'm calling you to love other people the way I love you. I'm calling you to lay down your lives for other people. I'm calling you to put other people actually ahead of yourself. It's simple, but it's huge. simply love and you're going to change people. Cause when I look out over this, this room, I'll tell you what I don't see. 
What I don't see is weakness. I see a bunch of people who God is making very, very strong in the Lord. Very, very strong. That was impressed on me so, so much when I was at the retreat with most of you guys. He's making you very strong. He's raising you up. He really is. And he's saying, put behind you the days of being a spiritual thermometer. Of just flowing with things. You know? Of just doing what everyone else is doing. Because you were made for so much more for that. More than that. You were made for so much more. You guys are leaders. Whether or not you feel like you're a leader, you're a leader. And he calls you to shift atmospheres wherever you go. We're going to take a bit of time praying. Just close your eyes for, for a minute. Father, we thank you for the destiny that you have for each and every one of us, God. And even now, I, yeah, I thank you, Father. I feel a dissatisfaction rising up in this room with the status quo. I feel a dissatisfaction rising up in this room for that place of being a spiritual thermometer. I'm just going to go up when it's spiritually hot. And I'm going to go down when it's spiritually down. There is a dissatisfaction rising up in hearts in this room for that very thing. An awareness and an awakening to something far greater to being a spiritual thermostat, to changing spiritual environments wherever we go. In our classrooms, in our dorms, on the streets, wherever we go. So if there, if there is a stirring in your heart, if there is a stirring in your heart to be more than a spiritual thermometer, and to step into that place of being a spiritual thermostat, I want you to stand up to your feet.